This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. It turns out there is a business group that is actually coming to the defense of the IRS. I was stunned by this. So we've called up the president of Business for America's Future, Katie Wannenberg. And uh, first of all, explain who you represent and uh, why you're going to bat for keeping all those uh, additional IRS agents that the president wants to hire. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to be here to talk about uh, why business owners are actually in support of the additional funding that was appropriated last year. And Small Business for America's Future is a network of business owners across the country who are active in the public policy space. You know, they are, as you know, uh, I'm sure in your interactions with many business owners, you know, they they have a, a deeper connection to their communities. I think they're, you know, interested in what's happening, not only at the federal level, but that state and local level. Level. And so um, through this network of small business owners, we come together, we talk about policy, we debate pros and cons of all sorts of you know interesting things. If it's about infrastructure, if it's about workforce development, if it's about our tax system. And so really today, one of the things that they are very passionate about is, is this IRS funding, which I know you said is, is kind of um, interesting or, per- or piqued your interest as to why uh, business owners are interested in um, advocating for this additional funding. So tell me why they uh, why they're not afraid of all those additional IRS agents. Most Americans have somewhat of a limited interaction with the federal government, but I will say that the vast majority do interact with uh, the IRS. And one of the things that the funding will do is actually be much more of a workforce development uh, tool. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the IRS is currently at an employee rate of the 1970s. So they have seen a great attrition. Now, I will tell you, interestingly enough, the IRS is a great place to work. People stay there. They have long careers there. But over the last decade, we've really seen a high level of attrition. So the IRS is actually very hamstrung. They are not able to provide basic customer service to its to its customers, which are the American people. And so the vast majority, vast majority of this money is going to go to ensure that they do have the personnel to interact with small business owners. One of the things that we actually hear across the country is that business owners want to turn to the IRS. They want to get the correct information. They want to make sure that they are, you know, filing all their forms. They're compliant with their, their tax requirements and they actually can't talk to someone. And it's really frustrating to them because uh, imagine you're trying to do, I, I would even say the right thing, or you're trying to get to the source of the information and they can't talk to someone. The other thing is, I know that there is um, a lot of media attention last year, right around tax filing season with the, the backlog. You know, IRS, because they have, you know, funding wise, but also perhaps um, a little short sightedness, haven't made uh, the right investments in technology. And so uh, there's, you know, a, a photo flying around last year of, of this huge room in Colorado, and it was just paper filings. Uh, the other big part of this money is going to go to investing in that technology infrastructure that will allow people to file their returns and get their tax returns easier and interface just much more easily with the IRS. And you know, I do want to point out that this money was supported by the former IRS commissioner who was appointed by former President Trump. And he said all of this to lawmakers on Capitol Hill. This money is for customer service agents, for call centers, for technology. This is about making sure that the IRS is meeting its customers where they're at, which is either on the phone 
or via email and our business owners see it. They feel it. They experience it. Well, what's the argument from the side who says, no, this is way too much money to invest right now? And and what would you say with to those arguments? You know, it's interesting um, in watching some of the floor speeches related to the $80 billion, you know, many of the Republican members who were advocating for this, I think we're very much speaking, um, I think, in falsehoods. You know, there's been this fear that this money is for a rampant increase in audits to small businesses. Unfortunately, we're not entirely sure. A very strange rumor got started related to, you know, armed IRS agents coming to your door. But in many of those speeches, they talked about the need for the IRS to have more human capital to be able to address the needs of the taxpayer. And so I think, unfortunately, we're in a situation where we have had some, I think, dramatic hyperbole around this like fear and misinformation. And the reality of it is, is not the case. I will also tell you that you know, the former IRS commissioner and the now new current IRS commissioner who will be on Capitol Hill, I think, before the end of February to talk about this, has also said the the IRS cannot spend this money within even one calendar year. This will be a, a slow, methodical increase in the things that are most important to them, and that is the the human capital infrastructure to make sure that they can process returns, get questions answered, start to build the technology. And so I think, again, we need to think about this as a long-term investment in a crucial agency that, like I said, every American interfaces with. These falsehoods that the opponents of the funding are spreading, I'm getting tired of that, mm-hmm. but but I, I haven't got the street cred to you know stand up to a member of Congress and say, uh, stop it. You do, though. You represent small businesses. Everybody wants to help small businesses, Republicans and Democrats alike. Are you going to confront them and say, stop spreading these rumors about this being about uh, sending armed agents to your business? And yep. and do you have the um, and can you back that up by saying, hey, I'll, I'll pull my support? from candidates who do this. Absolutely. I mean, we are going to take every opportunity. And, you know, I say this um, quite strongly, you know, these falsehoods are actually really, I think, undermining our democracy and the faith that people have. Every American, small business owner, you know, worker at our coffee shop, they should be engaged. They should be asking critical questions about how our government works. But we also need to call out the BS. This need that we take everything to, you know, such like screaming levels. I mean, unfortunately, we saw that play out last week in the speaker race. And I think everyone needs to do their job to say like, hey, you know what? You could disagree with the amount of money being given to this agency or you can disagree with how it's being spent. But we need to take the the drama and I think the falsehoods and the hyperbole out of the conversations and focus on the issues like people have real concerns right now, Colleen, as you mentioned, you know, we need to talk about good jobs. We are going to do our job to bring down the temperature and make sure that when we're using our voice, that we're talking with, you know, calm, coolness and facts so that we can continue to be a good messenger and hopefully break through some of the challenges we're seeing from this partisan nature we're we're involved in these days. Well, Katie, I'll be looking forward to your testimony before the House Ways and Means Committee. <laughs> I hope you have a, a Kevlar suit you can wear. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, we will continue to be uh, thoughtful in our ways in which we communicate with our members of Congress on this issue and um, encourage your listeners to do the same. Katie Wannenberg is the president of Business for America's Future. Katie, thank you. 
Thank you so much. In Washington, D.C., a special counsel will investigate President Biden's handling of classified documents during his transition out of the Obama administration. We called up Face the Nation moderator Margaret Brennan for more. At least three sets of information found at two locations, the current president's Wilmington home, also at the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C. So the questions have to do with the the chain of custody on these classified materials, uh, what happened in the six years when they were apparently sitting in these offices. Then there are questions, of course, on the timeline in terms of public transparency. That's more of a political question for for, for Washington to chew on. Uh, as, as I know, my CBS colleagues who broke the story have been pushing on the fact that we learned of this and reported it this week, but we now know this this knowledge of the materials goes all the way back to November the 2nd. And of course, that is a loaded period of time, given that it was on the cusp of the midterm elections. I heard a reporter ask yesterday the president's about the documents being in his garage next to his Corvette. And the president said, yeah, they're next to my Corvette in a locked garage. Is that a good enough answer? No, it's not. And uh, yes, that the president was obviously a, a bit defensive on that um, and seemed to be trying to suggest that was somehow protected. That's not a secure compartmentalized information facility, a SCIF, which is what is needed for certain levels of uh, classified information to be in personal possession. It's, there, there are very clear rules and regulations and laws regarding classified material and how it needs to be handled. And so that's why these cases are so tough, because again, as we've discussed with the case regarding the 45th president, If you take the title president away, if this were any other official, there would be consequences. And so that's why this is being investigated to to answer all these basic questions we still don't know the answers to, as in who who put it there? You know, was it known? What level of of classification was it? Uh, What was the information about? Why was it not uh, left at the White House and handed over to the archives as prescribed? So lots of, of questions just on that kind of protocol and process at a very minimum. So what are the Republican critics now saying? I wonder if this satisfies their concerns that, you know, they've been arguing that the Justice Department is politicized, that it unfairly Mm -hmm. targets the former presidents. What does this say now? Well, uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland made clear that he felt compelled to appoint this special counsel in part because dating back to November, he did have investigators looking into this to see whether it merited the appointment of a special counsel. And so from November till now, they have found that it was worth appointing someone to look into this matter further. So that shows that there is a seriousness that the Justice Department is applying to this case. And the law is the law, as I was just laying out. It doesn't matter your intention. It matters what you did or did not do and who did this or did not do it. Those facts are trying to be established. In terms of the political climate, obviously, it, it does have an effect. Um, for the former president, uh, the 45th president, President Trump, he is trying to claim this vindicates what he did. But he had a year-long standoff with the Justice Department in regard to handing over materials, falsely claimed, as his attorneys swore, that information requested had been handed back over to the archives. It wasn't. Security camera footage 
witnessed that there were individuals at Mar-a-Lago moving around boxes uh, that did contain uh, material marked classified. Uh, and then there's questions about whether it was declassified at all. So there is a more complicated case in terms of the, the facts as we know them and have been established there. Uh, and of course, the atmosphere itself of, of a, a president who tried to overthrow the outcome of an election he lost. So there are differences, but when it comes down to application of the law, it's very clear on the rules about classified material. And that is why um, there is such a high degree of scrutiny about what was going on when then Vice President Biden left office and, and the people around him who handled some of this material, many of whom are currently in government. That is Face the Nation moderator Margaret Brennan every Friday on Seattle's Morning News. Seattle's Morning News, sitting in for Dave Ross today. I'm Aaron Granillo. State lawmakers are considering some big changes when it comes to raising a tenant's rent and also penalizing those who expose children to opioids. Those are just two of the topics. Kyber News Radio's Matt Markovich is following during this year's legislative session. He joins us live. Matt. Good morning, Aaron, and welcome to day five of the 105-day session at the state legislature down in Olympia. And those are just two of the topics. We're starting to see a lot of the bills come to committees, and that's how that's when it kind of gets into play. That's when the, it, it's actually kind of official when a committee starts hearing some of these ideas. And two of the ideas that have been heard were the, like you just talked about, one of them is uh, raising rents and putting restrictions on that. It's going. One bill has uh, says. It would require landlords to provide at least 180 days and no more than 222 days notice for a rent increases over 5%. That's the key part of it. The other part is it also allows tenants to terminate that lease without a penalty if the rent is raised over 5%. And it would also limit rental payments, late uh, fees uh, to $75. I'll explain a little bit more about that. But, you know, Lawmakers heard testimony, obviously, from a lot of renters who were seeing uh, these rising rents and they're out of control. Some said Shannon Korak told lawmakers her story of seeing a sudden uh, unexpected rent increase of 50% with just one month's notice. When we spoke to our landlord, he said, that's what the market will bear. My family could not bear it. Many families can't. If we had been given six months notice, I feel we could have found housing that would be more suitable for my family. The short notice contributed to the pressure to secure a home, any home, with thousands of dollars that I did not have available. Matt, a 50% increase on one month's notice, I think we can all agree that's uh, unfair. There aren't already protections in place to stop something like that? Well, uh, 90-day notice. You're supposed Uh to give at least 90-day notice. But the percentage of rent increase, uh, there are no protections of that. So... Basically, 5% in, in this world where I think inflation, if you can argue, is a lot more than that, um, that's really small. And what's big about it, it gives the ability to, um, you know, for the renter get out of that lease. That's a big deal. But, you know, I thought what was interesting is Ryan Anderson. He's a property manager, and he actually flipped the argument around, uh, flipped the argument to basically saying that the state government is hypocritical about all this. It's a little bit disingenuous. Uh, Operating costs for our communities have gone up um, 10 or 12 percent in the last year. Uh, Taxes have often gone up double digits. Um, We have one month warning from the Washington uh, state government when those taxes will go up. And the government agrees that one month notice is enough. And... uh, 
uh, agrees that raising those fees far above 5% is reasonable. And I thought that was an excellent argument because if the, if the government raises a landlord's property tax, and you know, obviously the, uh, the logic is that the property, the property manager as well as the landlord will pass that on to the tenant, and the government only gives them a one or two months notice about how much the property tax increases, and now they're obligated to give six months notice to tenants though. Why not make it six months as well for a property tax increase notice? So I thought that was an interesting argument. And then there was another argument. Uh, Representative uh, uh, Republican Representative Stephen uh, Spencer Hutchins raised the scenario where landlords could actually use the law to get rid of an unwanted tenant. If when you give the the notice of a rental increase of 5% or more, the tenant then has the opportunity to terminate the lease without penalty, I can certainly see a situation in which a landlord could use this provision to turn the screws on a tenant uh, who doesn't want to deal with that kind of increase, who will then immediately go looking for other uh, housing options. And it's really hard for tenants to get, uh, excuse me, it's really hard for a landlord to get out of a lease. This is a way to force that tenant out uh, by just raising the rent more than 5%, give them a six-month notice, um, and then that person maybe just want to be able to break the lease because there won't be a penalty. So there's some interesting back and forth on, on this bill. It's got a lot of work to, to get to get uh, passage. Oh, yeah, one more thing about the late fees. What's kind of interesting about that is that it would cap the late fee at $75, no matter what the rent is. If the rent is $500 or $5,000 a month, the late fee can only be $75 per month. And so people say that should be more proportionate to what the rent is. Yeah, I imagine the landlord groups don't like uh, that provision in the bill. <laughs> yeah. And so the other thing that they were talked about is child endangerment to opioids. Now, there's a law in the books that basically started after... Um, you know, it's been on the books for 18 years. Uh, it was spurred on by the methamphetamine crisis and kids getting access to that and then overdosing on that. But it hasn't been updated since then. And we've had fentanyl now. We have all kinds of different heroines. We have the, you know, the, the opioid epidemic with all the pain pills. So basically what this would do is expand that original law to a felony offense to, of in, child endangerment. And it would, Go after the people who intentionally or unintentionally expose a child to fentanyl or opioids or even the smoke from someone smoking some fentanyl or heroin. Uh, just that smoke, exposing them to that, that will be a uh, felony now. Um, Gunnar Skolensberg is a Vancouver police officer who testified about a, a case of a one-year-old he had to deal with who nearly died after ingesting fentanyl. During the course of our investigation, we found several small robin's egg blue-colored pills along with paraphernalia on the floor within a few feet of a crib. Those pills were fentanyl. They're brightly colored and easy to swallow since they're smaller than a piece of M&M candy. We were fortunate that this child lived. Unfortunately, we've also seen cases where the child has died as a direct result of the exposure. Now, as the law is written right now, should he, if the child did not die, he basically just issued that person who exposed that child to the fentanyl uh, a citation. Um, this would be a felony just for the exposure. The law basically kicks in and makes it harsher if a child dies. So that's the threshold here. They want to lower the threshold for penalties on the exposure. But then you have uh, David Triwiller, who's a spokesperson for the Public Defenders Association in the state. And he says basically, just again, this, this is the wrong approach and it's just a scare tactic. 
creating new felonies with substantial prison time for what is at its core a substance use disorder is not the way to go. We have tried this route for 50 years and it has been an utter and complete failure. Every time a new criminal statute is proposed, law enforcement comes before you with stories of terrible crimes that require the new law to stamp it out. The examples always sound frightening. Criminalizing drug use is not helpful for the user, their family, or society, and in fact, causes more harm than good to all three. And there he's basically making the argument, the uh, uh, an arguments have been made many, many times about how to deal with people who have a drug problem. And basically, these are the people who were exposing the child to drugs, is that they should be given drug treatment or mandatory drug treatment and not uh, uh, see jail time. All right. That's uh, Matt Markovich wrapping up some of the key bills in our state legislative session. You said day five of how many days, Matt? 105. So okay. you got me for another 100 days, Aaron. Sounds good. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Appreciate it. In our defense, we got a lot better. I know. As time went on. But I yeah, was I feeling remember, for you. I remember those awkward days because there's a delay. Exactly. Just technology creates a delay. And so. You powered through it all of them. Yeah, we did. Better for it. Good times. That was good commentary. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Uh, your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft, an 82-year-old Navy veteran who worked at a Walmart in Maryland to make ends meet, has finally retired. Butch Marion officially left his job last week after online donors helped raise more than a hundred thousand dollars for him through GoFundMe. Rory McCarty is a TikTok star. He started the fundraiser in December after getting Marion's permission and posting about it on his account. This is for real. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you better believe this is for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd help you out a lot, wouldn't it? I, 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 I can't thank you guys enough. Yeah, man. Come here, give me a hug, buddy. Big ol' hug. He presented the man with the check for the money as he exited the store. Your name on it for $108,682. <laughs> I'd you to thank somebody for something like this. It's almost impossible. But believe me, from deep down in my heart, I love each and every one of you. You can't hear it very well, but he's saying, how do I thank somebody for this kind of help? He loves them. Despite being strangers less than a month ago, Marion and McCarty are now best friends. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, you're right. In early December, I shared the story of another octogenarian Walmart employee who was helped out by another TikTok influencer. 81-year-old Nola Carpenter was still working her minimum wage job because she had a mortgage. Devin Bonagura started a GoFundMe for her, which has since raised $186,000. Wow. And now from the G and Ursula Show, weekdays 9 to noon here on Cairo News Radio. It is G Scott. G, it's going to be rainy, going to be messy. Niners, Seahawks, they don't like each other. It's a division rival. Uh And you think they can win, the Seahawks. Absolutely. Say it again. Repeat it again. You said it's going to be rainy. Yep. It's going to be messy. Indeed. Sounds like a typical day in (laughs) Seattle. No doubt. All right. Uh, George Kittle, their star tight end. Check this out. Now, I just want a disclaimer. I'm not happy this happened for him. Okay? I just want to say that. I don't want to sound rude. Hmm. 
But his power has been out of this house for four days. Really? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah. So first struggling. Yeah, he's struggling. Mm. You know, I, I mean, what does what does rich people do when their power go out? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, look, it is hard to beat a team three times. Okay, I know that's cliche. However, it also can be said that look, the Seahawks and the Niners. They're real rivals. Mm -hmm. Like, that is a real rival. Right now, you have someone in your family that is a San Francisco 49er fan that wants to come to your crib and watch the game, and you're like, nope. Really? It's that deep that you wouldn't let them over? Yeah, I don't want you at my house. All right. Not not, not today. Not tomorrow on Saturday. So, also, the fact that the Seahawks have... uh, Played them so many times. I mean, right now, this yep. would be the third time they actually like. Okay, we have film on them. We know exactly what their their uh, tendencies are. There is a real opportunity, and I actually believe that the Seahawks will win. Mm. Now, it's all pretty. There's one name that is very important for this team. He's on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. But here's the good and bad news. The good news is if he plays really well, I think the Seahawks win this game. Mm. The bad news is, is if he plays really well, I don't think he'll be a Seahawk next year. Mm. His name is Cody Barton, Mm -hmm. number 57. Linebacker. Linebacker. He has a job to do. As we just talked about, George Kittle is very good tight end. No, that responsibility sometimes is on the linebacker. It is going to be on Cody Barton. As you guys know, Jordan Brooks is out for the season. Mm -hmm. So Cody Barton is going to be the middle linebacker out there. He's going to be the captain out out there, he's going to be in charge of making sure this defense is set. And so you're probably saying, well, why would you think that he wouldn't be a Seahawk next year? Because here's what's happening. This is a free, this is his years up. So next year he goes into free agency after this season and off season. If he plays really well, I think he's going to get a real big contract from another team. Oh, not the Seahawks. They won't spend money on. I mean, maybe. Gee, maybe I could be wrong. Just you listed a lot of reasons why the Seahawks could win. I got about a dozen more why the Seahawks should lose. Their their run defense has not been great this year. And the Niners have Christian McCaffrey, who's one of the best running backs in the league. Yeah. That's one reason. Debo Samuel, isn't he healthy now? I that mean, dude can run. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at this point, I'm lost. Uh, <laughs> Christian McCaffrey is the uh, running back that came over from the Carolina Panthers. And Colleen, since Christian McCaffrey has shown up, they're 10-0. Mm. Yeah. They're 10 so and they just made all the difference. Look, I ain't going to lie. He's good. And yeah. there are some reasons as to Look, San Francisco 49ers have been playing really good football. I'd almost argue to say this. If the Niners weren't playing the Seahawks, mm. I would say that the Niners are like one of the the top teams. No, they are the top team. This is why it's so important that I don't think that the Niners want to play the Seahawks. Right now... It's like you've played, I said this earlier this week. Imagine playing one-on-one against your younger brother, right? And you've beat them two, three times in a row. Yeah. But you don't want to play anymore because you want to leave on the win. But the little brother's like, nah, I want to play one more time. And for all the siblings out there, you guys know what I'm talking about. You don't want to play again. Like, no, 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 I want to play again because you know that, hey, this little brother is he's kind of good now. He's coming back, yeah. That's the Seahawks tomorrow. Yes, this season they have been little brother considering they've lost two in a row to them. So they, okay, good good on the Niners. But the Seahawks, 
are playing with house money, baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. They're playing with house money. Yeah. They always do well when their back's up against the wall. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's a Coach Pete Carroll team. who They always are competitive in the playoffs. So I'm actually, even though I was playing devil's advocate there, G, I like the Hawks. I, I do. I do. There's I really do no like the There's no way you're going to give us a score that includes 31, though. Yes, new season. Yeah, we're done okay. with the 31. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, 31's a little yeah, high yeah, for this yeah, game. Yeah, agree. So Definitely. Because Brock yeah. Purdy is their rookie quarterback. He was 5-0 and in, in his regular season towards the end. I think this is going to be the time that he becomes a rookie. I think the final score is going to be 25-16 to Seahawks. Lock mm. it in. G. Scott, you can hear it more is. from him from the G. and Ursula Show, 9 to noon here on Cairo News Radio. Morning news. I'm Aaron Granillo sitting in for Dave Ross alongside Colleen O'Brien and joining us now from Seattle Sports 710, co-host of Rock and Salt, Mike Salk, an old division rivalry coming up this weekend. The Seahawks 49ers. Are the Hawks still like 10 point underdogs? Right around there, yeah. I mean, I think it moved from ten and a half to nine and a half, maybe. Okay. But okay. yeah, I mean, you certainly get the idea. And when you're looking through, I think it was NFL Network project, you know, all of their predictions. I think we saw ten of them from their, you know, experts. I think two of them had the Seahawks losing by less than ten. Mm. Everybody else was ten plus. Do you think they do that sometimes though, just to create drama? No, no, no they I really do case. believe that. No, they've... I think they just think the Niners are that much better, and you know they've played the Seahawks twice and they've beaten them by ten plus each time they've played them. But so. it's hard to beat a team a third time. Well, yeah, so that, that's there what is I keep something hearing. to that. Uh, there is something to that. So I, the the number seems to be that when you play a team the third time after you've beaten them twice, which would only happen in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Teams are 14 and 9. So it is harder to beat a team a third time than it is to beat them the first two. But it's also not in your favor as the as the you know losing team. So, ten, ten point underdogs though. I mean that's some disrespect. Very, it is for yes. a, a Pete Carroll coach team. Nonetheless. And he seems to be kind of playing that card, yeah. right? I mean he had his conversation with us where he sort of giggled and was like, "Oh yeah, I guess we you know can't get it done. What are we going to do against yeah. this?" But I, I think he's got a pretty healthy respect for a Niners team that's being built up right now as if they're you know the greatest show on turf on offense and the eighty five Bears defense. I mean they're they're good. And they're very solid on both sides of the ball. And I think that's what makes them such a fierce opponent. But, you know, they also have a seventh round rookie quarterback who's going to be starting his first playoff game. Who's not, you know, he's not really supposed to be there. Right. He's like Dante and clerks. If I can go back a few years, like I'm not even supposed to be here today. So that's their weak spot. Well, no, he's actually played really, really well. Yeah, I was going to say, well, what's the 49ers weak spot that we can poke at? And and what's ours that the 49ers have been able to take advantage of? I don't know what the Niners weak spot is. Nobody seems to. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they're just they're really solidly built all the way around the Seahawks. You can run on them. I mean, you can just out-physical them at the line of scrimmage and run on them, and that that has sort of been their biggest problem. You know, offensively for the Seahawks, if you can get to the quarterback, and the Niners are really good at that, you know, you, you can affect what this team has tried to do. So, you know, how do you win this game? Cause a couple turnovers, win in special teams. The weather, as you know, in mm-hmm. San Francisco right now, or Santa Clara in this case, is not normal and you know they're getting an atmospheric river and yeah. and the bomb cyclone and <laughs> we're like big deal right <laughs> we got this yeah so i think that there is that whole you know usually bad weather helps the underdog right because mm. it makes the game yeah. funky yeah so you know look i think if they played this game 10 times seahawks win three 
Mm. And you got to make this one of those three. Wow, high stakes. I've been watching the Hawks' Twitter account pretty closely this week. They seem loose, though, Mike. I mean, I saw them practicing in the weather yesterday in the elements to get them ready for the rain. And then I saw Pete Carroll riding a scooter. Yes. A razor <laughs> through the through yeah. the headquarters. And, and I think that's just Pete, though. Like, I don't think that's this week. Uh-huh. I think that's just normal Pete. Now, what was this week was Pete taking the baseball cap and turning it around yeah. yesterday for the for the press conference. Ooh, he's feeling special. He is, because he's not generally a hat guy. He even told me on Monday he hates hats. But you know, with the rain, I think his wife was getting him to wear a hat and then he turned it around. Uh, no, they are loose. And and you know, we, we talked about this last week or earlier in the week. So, you know, the Seahawks needed the Lions to win on Sunday night, if you remember. And after the Seahawks won, the Lions had nothing to play for. But they went out and won. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at the time, I think me and a lot of other folks were thinking, oh, well, once they have nothing to play for, they're just going to shut it down and they're going to lose. But one cool thing about sports in in today's modern age seems to be that pressure is so great on teams that have to or expected to win. And the Lions were able to go out there and play completely free and easy, completely loose. Uh, Any golfer knows what I'm talking about. The difference between, you know, when it matters versus when it doesn't is enormous in, in golf and in other sports as well. And the Lions went out there with nothing to lose. They went for it on fourth down. They ran a hook and ladder on third up. They didn't care. Hmm. And if the Seahawks can kind of bring some of that level of energy, probably help them quite a bit on, on Saturday. Now, I heard you on the Gian Ursula show earlier this week talking about Geno Smith and whether he should get paid now. And are you still holding firm to your theory that they should just keep waiting it out and see what happens? Well, it's kind of too late now. I mean, now, now you don't really have much of a choice but to wait. If you were going to sign him, you kind of had to do it earlier and now you're going to wait. I mean, it's not like you're going to sign him tonight right. before the playoff Do they game. have to make a choice, though, after this game, whether it's won or lost? Well, no, 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 no. Not till after the season. Okay. You, know, you have to, at some point, decide what you want to do. He's going to be a free agent. You can franchise tag him, which means he sticks around here for some $30 million for one year. Mm. Uh, or you can uh, sign him to a long-term extension, or you can let him go. Okay. And uh, yeah, this will be another data point in determining the future for Geno Smith and how he performs, I think, will, will matter. Because it's something like, you know, we, we, we can talk about what a great season he's had. If he lays a complete egg mm-hmm. in the playoff game, that will be the lasting image we have. Is that fair? No, not entirely. And I think John Schneider and Pete Carroll will have much more, you know, they're there every day. They have much more even than we have because they see what happens in practice. But it will be hard to shake that. On the other hand, if he goes out there and just plays a whale of a game and win or lose shows that he is playoff ready, well, that's going to be the lasting image as well, and it's probably going to make Gino a lot of money. I heard you talking to KJ Wright mm. earlier this week, and you you asked him where this season ranks among Coach Pete's best. We defied all expectations this season, so is this Pete's best coaching job yet? I think it's on the list. I don't know if it's his absolute best, but I think it's going to be in the top three or four. I mean, he's been here 13 years. He's made the playoffs in 10 of them. I personally think his two best coaching seasons are 2014 and 15. Uh, if you remember, they win the Super Bowl in 2013. And then to get back to another Super Bowl is not easy. I mean, look at the Rams. They went to, they went and won the Super Bowl last year. This year, they are in last place. It was a disaster. And that, that, they, they are an extreme, but it is hard to repeat. And to get his team within one play of repeating the next year, I thought was an incredible coaching job. 
to get that 2015 team back to the playoffs, I thought was Pete at his absolute best, finding a way to hold that group together when everything seemed like it was bursting at the seams. Um, but this is a completely different and amazing coaching job he did this year with a group of young players and a quarterback that not just that we didn't know. He was bad. It, right? I mean, the thing about Gino is it's not like he was an unknown. <laughs> yeah. Brock Purdy, who's starting for San Francisco, seventh round pick, unknown. Hey, maybe he's great. Gino Smith, we had a book on. <laughs> he was with the Jets and the Giants and the Chargers, and he wasn't good. And he'd been here, and he wasn't that good. And this year, he was great. Huh. And that is, again, one of the most surprising and amazing sports stories I've ever seen play out like that. And a credit to Gino, who's turned his career around, and a credit to Pete Carroll for figuring out how to get that done. Mike Salk, Seattle Sports 710. Thank you. Good to catch up with you guys. Seattle's Morning News. In for Dave Ross this morning, I'm Aaron Granillo alongside Sully and Colleen. Remember back in October, Mariner fans, you started putting shoes on your head. It was Sully, but it did the job. Brought playoff baseball back to Seattle. Mm -hmm. We later learned, though, unfortunately, it only works when the Mariners play in Canada. But that's the thing about sports rituals. They're only absurd some of the time. Mickey Gomez joins us live. What's going on, Mickey? So Air Force veteran Delena Loretta prides herself on being the 12th man. She's a huge Seahawks fan, and she's pumped up that her favorite team has made the wild card playoffs. So I was able to chat with her, and I asked her, you know, how long have you been a Seahawks fan? And then we took it from there. 2003 to 2004, yeah. What do you think is going to happen? Are the Seahawks going to win? If I'm being honest, I have a feeling that it's going to be a really close score, but we will ultimately lose. Oh my gosh, why? Because we're playing the 49ers and we have not had any luck with them all season. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So share with us any game day rituals that you have. I like, um, I'm going to be wearing my Richard Sherman jersey, my good luck jersey. My ex-husband put it through the dryer. (laughs) So like all the letters and everything are peeling off it. Mm -hmm. And if they win, what are you going to do? I'm going to be crying. I'm going to, like, yes. I'll probably end up wearing that jersey, like, and so we, we make it completely through the playoffs. I like that, though. You know, she's committed. She says that she's upset Seahawks let Bobby Wagner go. Is, is, did I say his name right? Yeah, Bobby Wagner. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, uh, and that DJ Metcalf is now her favorite player. You did get DK. DK, Metcalf. yes. DK, DK Metcalf. You gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter was calling him CJ Metcalf for the longest time. <laughs> well, you have an excuse. Yeah. But well, who's your, do you have a, t- are you a Cowboys fan? I'm since not you're from a Texas? Cowboys fan. No, no okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm Mickey's on the myself. Hawks bandwagon. I am a, I am on the Hawks yeah. bandwagon. I used yeah. to love the Houston Oilers, but then they got, uh, they became the Tennessee, Tennessee Titans, Titans and now, but I don't have a favorite NFL team, but I'm I'm growing to love the Seahawks. Yeah. Been to a game. It's a lot of fun. It's a unique team. Yeah. What rituals do you have? Okay. So I, I'm not I'm not big on rituals. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from maybe cracking a cold beverage during a, a, a Seahawks game. Uh, but at, at baseball games, if we're down, I do put the rally cap on. I do uh-huh. put the inside out rally cap on. I do have a story to share, though, about the Mariners. Uh-huh. Um, do tell. I do. Um, so it's the playoffs. And the Mariners are winning at the time, I believe. And I pick up my baby girl, and she's my good luck charm. Mm. Olivia, she's two, three months old at the time. And I kid you not, 
Jordan Alvarez for the Astros hits a home run and they take the lead <laughs> over the Mariners. And I so she was my good luck Olivia to my wife. Yeah, you're like, nope, you're not allowed to be at this game yeah, now. Yeah. I don't know if I have any, but I do love learning about them. Mm-hmm. And for me, it usually has to do with if I have the game on and I'm watching and things start to go bad, I leave the room. Oh, and if they start yeah. to go well, then I'm not allowed to come back in the room until the game <laughs> oh, is over. So yeah, it usually yeah. has something to do with that. I have like impeccable timing for leaving for like a bathroom break and then the team starts turning things around so that I'm banished from the TV room. Yeah. So, so we um, we have we do have a ritual. We take our dog's ears. So like if we're on the one yard line and our team is about to make, you know, a touchdown, we hold her ears up and mm. then and, and Sam, Cute. he's one of our he's one of our reporters. He witnessed it three times mm. a couple weekends ago when we were watching a couple of the bowl games. We would hold her ears that we go, OK, Marlo, let's do this. Come on, baby. And then we and then they would score they had touchdown and we would jump up and down and my dog would go. Yay. I don't know why. But <laughs> Sully, what about you? Rituals? I don't have many. Uh, Not even for your son. No, I, I used to have them a lot where I'd have to wear the same clothes to every game that I went. Obviously, I'd wash them between games and it had to be I had to drink the same pre game beer before <laughs> games you go. Uh, like and then uh, you know it got to the point where you know, I stopped caring once I you know certain outfits would lose and I'd be like you know okay whatever uh, I'm trying not to worry about that I just worry about you know Tom's performance mm-hmm. and staying healthy mm-hmm. that's really all I care about now <laughs> so it doesn't really matter anymore uh, however I can tell you that if I wear a shirt for the first time and they lose in that shirt whatever team it is I usually don't put that shirt back on. You burn the shirt. I don't really burn it because that's a waste of money. Uh, but yeah, I just I don't. I, it doesn't get back into my repertoire faster. Does Tommy have rituals? No. Oh, okay. Other than the music that he plays before yeah. every games during warmups. That's a big uh, deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean his music there. He kind of gets into his vibe and does his thing. His rituals are the way he preps for the game or with the actual yeah. like exercises and things. But as for other than that, no. I mean he doesn't wear a lucky this that or the other thing. He just goes out and you know vibe. Nice. Well, hopefully the Seahawks are going to do it. Yeah, they're going to pull out a W. And I know that uh, they're expecting rain this weekend. Yep, so I yep. know that the football field in uh, in San Francisco is they've got big fans there kind of trying to dry out the field and whatnot. So I heard about this. Yeah, I, they're I, trying I, to dry out the field in San Francisco <laughs> because it's that wet. But who knows? Maybe the Niners can't play. That means on a wet they're field. in their heads. That's true. That's what's going on. All right. Come on, Seahawks. Anyway, Seahawks 49ers wildcard game tomorrow, 130 in San Francisco. Let's do it. Thank you, Mickey. Listen here, by the way, on Cairo News Radio. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to the show's podcast. We're happy you're here. And you can keep up with the show and find some of the stories from today online at MyNorthwest.com.